the Real Marathon Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the best in film each and every week. I am your host, Rob Carraher, and this week we are talking Nomadland. Nomadland came out last Friday on Hulu uh, for everyone to be able to see. And from everything that I have been seeing on social media, uh, just from conversations that I had, a lot of people watched it, uh, and it, it seemed to receive uh, a pretty warm welcome, which uh, you never know. You never know with a, a more award season type film. So we're going to be talking about that film, doing a review on that, um, but the real foundation of what makes Nomadland a, an interesting film is it is a very visual experience and if you know anything about me as a film watcher I am a sucker for good cinematography that really shows off a landscape that that just builds a beautiful composition uh, a film could I, I love dialogue too I love a really dialogue rich film but um, one of the ways to win over my heart as a film lover is a, a film that has a lot to show you and isn't so worried about telling you everything. Uh, I, I like to call it kind of visual uh, exposition. And so I'm going to focus pretty heavily on that for this show. Uh, obviously, I will talk about the film as a whole. Um, during our review segment, but our top five lists are films that have come out in the 21st century that the landscape, the U.S. landscape, plays a pivotal role in that film. Uh, I, I think there is sort of almost a genre of films where uh, the the landscape plays such a, a role that it, it's almost like a another character. And uh, this is certainly one of those films. Um, and I will be talking about five other films that I, I really loved in this century that use the U.S. landscape beautifully to really drive home their their ultimate message and to pull on my heartstrings as a uh, visual experience film lover. So when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit of news. This week, we're really going to be just focused on the Golden Globes, which are this weekend, and I'm going to give a few predictions in terms of that. Um, but. Uh, we're not going to talk about too much other than that. So when we come back, we will be talking about that. All right, we are back and we are talking Golden Globes. So the first really big award show is this Sunday. And I'm getting kind of excited for it. I, I know that I generally kind of crap on the Golden Globes because I think that they can't be taken entirely seriously. 
they they are a relatively good uh, predictor of things to come for for Oscars, but uh, they they do have some questionable things, and there's certain categories that are are relatively laughable. Um, but we I am excited about it because first of all it's an award show, and I'm a sucker for that. Uh, but also because it is going to give us some clues about the trends of some of these films. So I, I have been thinking for quite a while that Nomadland was going to win Best Picture at the Oscars. That was kind of my favorite going into the last probably couple weeks. But I'm starting to get a feeling that the Golden Globes may end up awarding the Trial of the Chicago 7 as their best picture in the drama category. And if they do, I think that is going to significantly alter the race. In a way, I, I think viewing Nomadland made me feel as though this is much more possible. Um, I really loved Nomadland, and I'll talk about that here in a little bit, but uh, it doesn't seem like a best picture film to me, and I don't, I don't know quite why. It just doesn't have uh, the, the, what it needs <laughs> to complete the full circuit. Um, I'm not saying that it won't, but I'm starting to have second thoughts about it. So I, I am going to make the prediction that the Trial of the Chicago 7 will end up winning Best Drama at the Golden Globes this weekend. But if Nomadland does end up pulling this off, then I think that it, it puts it on a trajectory to uh, potentially run the table here and end up as the Best Picture winner. Um I am still interested. I haven't watched Minari yet, and we're going to do a review on that in a few weeks. But um, I, I feel like Minari could play spoiler at the Oscars, um, but I want to see it first to kind of get a feel. Because um, to be completely honest, I'm not so sure that The Trial of the Chicago 7 is an extremely worthy Best Picture winner either. It's good. It feels a little bit like the film Argo. Um, which I, I criticized quite a bit because it just it, it wasn't the type of film that I think should be best picture of the year. And I feel that same way about the trial of the Chicago 7. And there's a lot of really good films uh, that were made this year. A lot of films that I really loved. Uh, and so to see the trial of Chicago 7, you know, I'm, I'm it, yeah, it, it would be a good film to win. Like I'm not saying that it's, it wouldn't be. But uh, I'm not. I haven't bought in completely that that is going to be the winner. I haven't bought in completely that Nomadland is going to be the winner. And I think there's potential that Minari plays spoiler. Um, but let's continue to talk a little bit more about the Golden Globes. So the other category is best film in a comedy or musical. And this has absolutely no bearing on what we're going to see when Oscar nominations come out. The five nominees are 
Hamilton, Borat subsequent movie film, Palm Springs, The Prom, and Music. None of those are going to get nominated for uh, an Oscar for Best Picture. So it's kind of this, this doesn't particularly uh, matter. But I'm going to predict that Hamilton ends up walking away with this award. Uh, a lot of the big pundits are predicting that it's Borat. But the original film of Borat did not win. Um, and maybe this year is just a weaker year, so maybe it ends up winning. But I just I have this feeling that they're going to go with Hamilton. They The fact that they nominated it shows that uh, they, they felt that it was worthy of being in this category, despite it being just a filmed version of, of the musical, uh, the Broadway musical. And I think they're going to do it. I think they're going to end up picking Hamilton as that winner. Um, so I think those are the two kind of uh, best picture winners that we're going to see this week. Um, real quick, uh, I, I believe that Carrie Mulligan is going to win Best Actress in a Drama. I believe that Chadwick Boseman will win Best Actor in a Drama. I believe that uh, Maria Bakalova from Borat will win Best Actress in a Comedy or Musical. I believe that uh, Sasha Baron Cohen will win Best Actor in a Comedy or a Musical. Although I think that there's a chance they may end up giving that to Lin-Manuel Miranda. I'm, I, I, like I said, I'm a little on the fence about that. But I think because um, they are not going to give uh, Best Supporting Actor to Sasha Baron Cohen, and they're going to end up giving it to Daniel Kaluuya for Judas and the Black Messiah, uh, I, I'm i going with Sasha Baron Cohen for um, best actor in a comedy or musical. Although it wouldn't be too surprising to me to see them give it to him in both categories. Uh, and then best supporting actress. I think they're going to start the trend with Glenn Close as Glenn Close starts her award uh, kind of red carpet walk or she's going to be collecting a lot of Best Supporting Actress awards um, heading to Oscar night where she will. I'm predicting as of now, this could change, that she will finally win her first Oscar. Um, Best Director, I think it's going to be Chloe Zhao for Nomadland. Uh, Best Screenplay, I'm going with The Trial of the Chicago 7, Aaron Sorkin. I love Aaron Sorkin. Um, best animated film. Going with Soul. Although wouldn't be surprised if they end up picking Wolf Walkers. But I think it I think it still will be Soul. Um, best foreign language film. Well, this is goofy because they nominated Minari for best foreign language film. And yes, I think a lot of the I mean most of the film is in another language. It's still an American-made film in this category, which is why they changed it at the Oscars to Best International Film, should be reserved for films that aren't as widely seen. And, um, and so uh, Minari 
it's kind of, I don't know, it, it's a little embarrassing that they put it here because um, it's definitely more, um, I, I guess it does fall under the, the category label, but it, it just probably shouldn't be qualified for this, this category. Uh, and then best score, I am going with Soul. And for best song, I am selecting Speak Now by Leslie Odom Jr. from One Night in Miami. And so those are my predictions for the film portion of the Golden Globes. There's also TV, but that is not my wheelhouse, so I will not be talking about that. Um, but I am looking forward to seeing who some of these winners are. I will probably be live tweeting throughout the show. And uh, I, I, I can't wait to have some commentary after the show. We have, we'll have a lot of stuff to talk about in next week's uh, show. And um, I can't wait. So when we come back from this break... I will be talking about the upcoming events. Let's talk events. So, as promised, I have scheduled events, our, our next episodes, all the way through... Um, the Oscars. So next week we will be doing small acts. So that will be on uh, Friday, March 5th. And that is our Real Marathon spoiler show where we'll be talking about the five episodes of small acts. The following week we will be doing re a review of Minari. I will also be spending, I think instead of lists that week, I will be giving my predictions for our uh, Oscar nominations because the following week we will be getting that those nominations. Um, the week after that, uh, which is March 19th, so Minari is going to be on March 12th. Uh, the week after that, on March 19th, I will be watching a or I'll be reviewing another round, which is currently the frontrunner for Best International Film. On March 26th, I will be doing a review of the Netflix film Pieces of a Woman. On April 2nd, I will be doing a review of The Father. On April 9th, I will be doing a review of Hillbilly Elegy. On April 16th, We'll be reviewing the Oscar-nominated shorts. And then on April 23rd, we're going to have a Oscar show where we're, everything about that show is going to be talking about uh, the weekend's Oscar ceremony. I'll be giving my predictions, and we'll be talking, talking Oscars the entire time. So that'll be a little bit different. Um, maybe we'll get a guest, some guests on that show so we can talk. Um, a little bit more about the Oscars. So those are the events that I have planned. Um, next week I will, well, I don't know if I'm going to announce it next week, um, what, what films we're going to be watching, but uh, the plan is to do another Real Marathon spoiler show, probably right after that Oscars show. And uh, I think it's going to have to do with... Um, 
a handful of films that probably should have been nominated for Best Picture but were left on the outside. Uh, and so I am still figuring out what films we're going to do for that, but I think that is what the theme is going to be. So when we come back from this short break, we will be talking about the film Nomadland. Let's talk Nomadland. Um, so first of all, I really liked this film. Uh, I don't know that I loved it um, in terms of it being a best picture film. I talked about that a little bit earlier. Um, it just doesn't, it, it, it is missing that kind of secret ingredient that, that really puts it over the top. And I think a lot of it is because it is simply a just very stripped down uh, viewpoint on life. Uh, it has a very realistic feel to it and um, it, it it just isn't quite uh, it, it isn't quite the attention grabber that some of the previous best picture winners have been. Um, which maybe maybe that is kind of what the Academy is looking for. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit more about that aspect of uh, it being true to life here in a little bit. Um, but I first want to talk about this as a pretty much a showcase for Francis McDormand, who plays Fern, um, who is our main character and... She is a woman who has lost absolutely everything uh, after the Great Recession of the 2000s. And um, she is basically just kind of jumping from job to job and living out of her van. And we, we watch this play out. Um, it, is, it is based on a nonfiction novel. Um, and so... The, the events that take place, I think that's part of why it does uh, it, it does kind of hit as just being, you know, this, this, is, this is just real life. Um, but Frances McDormand, as usual, is nearly perfect. Uh, it seems as though any year that she is in a film, that it it should be considered uh, worthy of a potential nomination. And frankly, in most years, uh, she, she should be a contender to win Best Actress. Um, I think that is the case this year. And although I would uh, prefer Carrie Mulligan to win for Promising Young Woman, just because I think it, it may be a little bit more of a dynamic character, uh, I would not be upset at all if uh, Frances McDormand ends up winning yet again for for this film. Uh, my gut tells me that because both performances are really good that uh, the Academy, because they just more recently gave Frances McDormand another uh, Academy Award, they probably will be more likely to give it to Carrie Mulligan, but 
you never know. Uh, they they have given back to back before, and so uh, even though this isn't back to back, they they that's not something that they are afraid to do. Um, but I think it took me a little bit to really buy into this performance, and it's because it is very subtle. But she picks up on those little moments that are really human. And I think it would be easy to take this performance for granted because of that. Like I said, this is a vehicle for her to really showcase her talents. And um, this is really a pretty incredible performance. Um, there are a couple other performances that I thought were really good. Uh, David Strathern, he is uh, another person that is very much like Fern. Um, something that they decided to do for this movie. Um, I don't know if it was Chloe Zhao or if uh, it was this... Well, I guess she wrote the screenplay, but I, I presume that she... She just decided, you know, all of my actors are going to play a character by the same name, um, with the exception of Frances McDormand, whose character's name is Fern. But if you go through and you look at the cast list and who the actors are that play it, they all share the same first name. So uh, David Strathern plays a character by the name of uh, Dave, and uh, this performance is also very subtle. It's a great performance. Um, it could sneak in and maybe get an Oscar nomination for Best Supporting Actor. It's not going to win. But if there's a lot of love for this film, um, I could very well see that getting nominated. Um, I think maybe a better supporting character or a better supporting performance was from a woman named Swanky. And she's billed in the credits just as Swanky. Um, but she has such an impact on this film and, um, frankly, is kind of the heart of the film. Uh, and I, I saw somebody on Twitter, I can't remember who it was. Um, I follow a lot of different critics and I, I like to kind of see what some of their things are, what they're saying. Um, but somebody said that, really, she should probably be nominated for this film because, frankly... That's what that category is built for, performances like these. I think a lot of times there might be a little bit of category fraud where you you have a fairly lead actor who is uh, receiving a nomination um, in the supporting category. And it's hard for uh, characters like Swanky to be recognized. Um, but... That was also a pretty incredible performance. Something that should be said about uh, a lot of the actors in this film. Uh, I highly doubt many of them are professional actors. Um, they all seem like very real people. And the conversations because of that are very authentic. Um, so that's what I wanted to say about performances. Uh, but as I, as I mentioned in the beginning, the intro of the show, cinematography is really at the heart of this film. Um, and I think 
Chloe Zhao is probably solidifying herself as one of the biggest up-and-coming directors. She has only made a handful of films. Um, a few years back, she had a film called The Writer. I have not yet seen it, but it received a ton of critical praise. And she's been using the same cinematographer for all of these films. Joshua James Richards. My gut tells me that she's going to continue to make films with him. Um, and he does a fantastic job of of capturing the landscape. Um, specifically for somebody in the Midwest who's traveled the Midwest or traveled just the West in general because there's a lot of California shots. Um, there's Nevada, Arizona, uh, but they spend a lot of time in South Dakota and even a little bit of time in Nebraska. Um, and just the way that it captures the land and what the sky looks like um, and different weather. It's, it's really, really beautiful. Um, and it makes me think of a lot of other films that I really, really loved. Uh, it, and it fits right in kind of with that, that catalog of films. Um, I, I think that I very, very much compared this film to Into the Wild, which is probably one of my favorite films of all time. Um, because of that kind of traveler's tale, uh, an, an individual who's kind of just marching to the beat of their own drum and uh, sort of trying to escape civilization. That, I think, alone makes it so I probably don't like this film as much because... I think Into the Wild this is a superior film. Um, but the cinematography is kind of, it kind of reminds me of Into the Wild. Um, maybe not quite as amazing, but uh, just allowing there to be this, this mix of humans and nature. And how they coexist, and how we should be stopping for a moment to take in their beauty and realize that, in the grand scheme of things, we are just a little blip on the radar. Um, we're so small in the vast of everything else. And so, the cinematography in this film, I think, really captures that. Um, mixed with a pretty incredible score. Uh, it starts out a little bit more subtle, um, but by the time that the, uh, the, the film really gets going, uh, it, it just, it, because, because there isn't a lot of dialogue, uh, it plays a major role. It really does. Um, and it, it's probably not going to win best score because that's going to go to Seoul. Um, and may, it probably shouldn't win best score. But uh, it, it is 
very, very respectable. And um, I, I think that it adds to, to the film quite well. Now, screenplay. Um, the screenplay is written by Zhao. And it is based on a novel by Jessica Bruder. Or a book. It's a nonfiction book. I, I think this is a great screenplay. Uh, I know that the favorite to win best adapted screenplay is probably, um, I would imagine it will be The Trial of Chicago 7. But I appreciate this screenplay so much because it does not rely on a bunch of twists and turns. It doesn't rely on um, incredible dialogue. It just... It, it, it lets those real human emotions tell the story. And something that uh, Rachel and I were talking about is that it, it was kind of a breath of fresh air knowing that it is more reflective of real life and that it doesn't need those gotcha dramatic moments to make the film work. And sometimes it's relaxing. Um, even though the film is has a lot of depressing topics, even though um, it's not necessarily a super uplifting film, it still, there is some comfort in the fact that it doesn't rely on bad things happening kind of unnaturally. Um, it just kind of lets life play out, and it's subtle in that way. And the tragedies are real to life. They're things that we encounter every single day, and that throughout our history, as Americans, we have encountered. And so, I think that makes it a pretty special screenplay. And uh, I, I still haven't decided what I'm going to pick as my favorite screenplay of the year, but I think this is probably um, going to be in contention for my favorite, for Best Adapted. And uh, I... I think it'd be pretty cool to see it win at the Oscars just because it doesn't have to be some witty dialogue as much as I love Aaron Sorkin and his witty dialogue. Um, it doesn't always have to be about that. Um, it can be more subtle. And, uh, and so that's why I like this screenplay. Now, um, what the film I think does really well is it makes you think. It makes you think about your life and how there's always more to be learned. Um, how our experiences are different from everyone else's. Even when we still might have certain experiences that are in, in common. And to try to compare ourselves to other people or to try to project our own life situations onto other people um, is maybe not very fair. 
And we see this play out in some of the relationships that she has with people throughout the film um, and how she kind of walks this very thin line between those relationships being positive and her kind of pushing them away. Um, in particular, we see this play out uh, with a scene where she is um, talking with her sister and how her sister has a completely different lifestyle than her. And we see those kind of two worlds clash. We also see these life lessons or the, the this reflection on life play out in a conversation she has with the character of Swanky, which honestly is probably one of, one of my favorite moments in the entire film where they they are reflecting on life and uh, Fern just kind of listens. In the way in which you can watch her digest this conversation uh, or this this uh, dialogue from Swanky and her her reflection on life um, and how Fern kind of realizes some things in that moment. It, it is just an incredible scene and uh, probably one of my favorite scenes of the entire year in terms of uh, all films. Um, but that's, that's kind of what makes this film special is that they don't have to say a lot of the, uh, the lessons. They don't have to explicitly state, this is what we're talking about. Um, and it, even when we try to pull some of these ideas away, uh, from, from the film, it's a little messy, not the film itself, but, uh, your thought process. And, I appreciated that about the film because it makes you think and uh, it, it has something that, that makes the film thought provoking beyond just that initial viewing uh, and how it, it kind of sticks with you as, as you process it. And I keep going back to uh, a few scenes in the film where we see um, some of these, these concepts play out. And, uh, and every single time I think about it, I like it a little bit more. Um, so that, that kind of sums up how I feel about this. Um, like I said, the film is, is pretty subtle and it may not be, um, may not quite have what it takes to be a best picture winner. Um, even though it still might end up winning best picture, I did give it four and a half out of five stars. And maybe by the time Oscar comes around that uh, I decide, you know, I, I really loved this film. Um, but I guess we're going to kind of, uh, we'll, we'll see how the rest of the films that I haven't seen yet play out. And um, when it comes time for that Oscar show, I will announce my, my top films of the year. And we'll see where this film ends up landing. Uh, I, I can tell you it will end up in my top 10. Um, I would be very, very surprised if I watch a bunch more films this year that I think are that much better. Um, so it, you will see this film make an appearance in my top 10. Um, so that is all I have for my review of Nomadland. When we return from 
this break, I will be counting down my top five favorite films that highlight the American landscape. five films that feature the American landscape and really make the American landscape a major character in a lot of these films. So we're going to just start out. My number five film is The Revenant by Alexandro Gonzalez Onyaritu. And Anyaritu has made some pretty incredible films. Um, he had a little streak there where he uh, was very, very, very much in uh, in the good graces of uh, the Academy. Uh, he had won Birdman the previous year for, uh, or he had won Best Picture with Birdman the previous year to The Revenant coming out. And that probably hurt him in terms of uh, this film ending up winning Best Picture. Um, but it is an absolutely beautiful film. Uh, it, it, to me, is a little bit closer to a film like uh, Terrence Malick's Tree of Life, where uh, the cinematography is actually far more uh, a part of the film than the actual narrative. Uh to me, it's a, a little bit more like poetry than a story. And uh, it's the sort of film that you sit back and you just enjoy. You enjoy as they capture this, this often wintry landscape. And uh, it's captured beautifully. Um, the film, it... Uh, Sars Leonardo DiCaprio and Leonardo DiCaprio ended up winning his first Oscar for this this film and it, and his character um, Hugh Glass is uh, a frontiersman on a fur trading expedition in the 1820s and he is basically fighting for survival um, and so the entire film we see him fighting against the elements. Um, that that ultimately are potentially going to leave him leave him dead, and uh, the the way in which we we see this M Missouri and kind of uh, southern landscape of the United States, it's just is just an absolutely beautiful film. Um, and, uh, I, I really could not leave it off this list, uh, even though as a whole, um, I maybe didn't love the film as much as some of the other ones that are on this list. I still gave it four and a half and a half out of five stars. Um, and, uh, if you haven't seen it yet, I would highly recommend, um, 
just going into it with a kind of open mind and and ready to just enjoy the beauty that uh, plays out in a visual manner on the screen. At times it is slow. Um, at times it's very, very, very exciting. Uh, and so it's kind of has a lot of ups and downs. Um, but I highly recommend it. And that was number five on my list. My number four film is a film called American Honey. This is a 2016 film. And I also gave this four and a half stars that year. It was my favorite film of the year. Um, not a lot of people saw it. It stars a young woman by the name of Sasha Lane. Um, her character's name is Star. She's a teenage girl who her life isn't particular, particularly great. And she leaves home and uh, jumps on board this van with a lot of other teens that maybe have found themselves in a similar situation and they travel the country uh, trying to sell stuff at people's doors. Uh, and and we kind of watch this, this play out. Um, but while we're watching it play out, we get to see the Midwest and uh, it really captures it in a, a very beautiful way. Uh, this is on Andrea Arnold is the director. Um, she directed a film called Fish Tank in 2009 that uh, ultimately ended up being pretty well loved by critics. Um, but to me, this film is uh, just a very American story. It's a story about... Um, socioeconomics. It's a story about family and it's a story about ultimately America. And um, I I just I, I really appreciated the visuals that, that we get to see play out as these characters um, these characters travel the country. Uh, the film also stars Shia LaBeouf um, and uh, Riley Keough, who happens to be uh, Elvis Presley's uh, eldest granddaughter. Um, she's a very good actor. She's in a lot of stuff. Uh, but the story is really important, but kind of like Nomadland. Uh, it, it has a little bit more of a reflection of real life. Um, there's... A little bit more drama uh, than Nomadland, but it's raw. Um, we just get kind of a slice of life for these these teenagers and watch them be ultimately teenagers. Um, but it's a very beautiful film. I highly recommend checking it out if you haven't seen it. I know that this is probably the film that the fewest of my listeners have seen, just because they didn't get the same uh, coverage as some of the other films on my list. Um, but, uh, yeah, I do recommend watching this film. The next film on my list is the film Brokeback Mountain. Uh, Brokeback Mountain came out in 2005 and is a film by Ang Lee. And probably will go down as one of those films that should have won Best Picture and got beat out by 
a film that probably shouldn't have won in Crash. And this happens quite often. Uh, there seems to be a film that kind of just gets left out. Um, and it's often because of the fact that the Academy maybe isn't as progressive as it should be. It has a lot of older white men who um, some of these topics probably rub them a little bit the wrong way. Um, and this being one of the first really mainstream films with big time actors um, that, that have a homosexual relationship, uh, it probably didn't play so well with the Academy. But beyond it just being an extraordinary love story, uh, the love story it becomes that much better because of the beautiful, beautiful Wyoming mountains. And Ang Lee and his cinematographer, they capture it to absolute perfection. Every single time I see this film, I want to be in Wyoming. Um, it's just, it's absolutely gorgeous. And I, I love this film. <laughs> I also gave this film four and a half out of five stars. Um, and, and if you haven't ever seen it, um, it right now it is on prime. So you can watch it on prime. Uh, but it deserved a lot more than it ended up receiving. Um, it seems like critics loved it. The Academy just didn't go for it. Um, and like I said, I think this happens quite often. Uh, in more recent years, Black Klansman, I feel like Black Klansman was kind of like this. Um, when it should have beaten Green Book. Uh, I honestly, I feel like Promising the Young Woman is that film this year. Um, where these films just might be a little too edgy, um, maybe a little too progressive for the current academy, um, and and it, they just aren't as embraced like they should be. Um, but highly recommend this film. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. It's on Amazon Prime. Um, the next film on my list is also a film that maybe a lot of uh, my listeners uh, have never seen, and it is called The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford. This film is probably one of the best films in terms of cinematography that I have ever seen. Uh, I don't know how else to describe it other than it is like a painting, and every shot looks like you're in an art gallery where you are just turning from one painting to the next, to the next, to the next. And I just, I've never seen a film quite like it in terms of that. Um, much of it is uh, the landscape of the country. Um, in, in the Missouri area, kind of like the Revenant. Um, but it's just, it's absolutely stunning. It's beautiful. It has fantastic performances. 
it's uh, a a interesting story. Um, I ended up giving it five out of five stars. I don't give a lot of five out of five stars. Um, this isn't probably a film for everyone. Not everybody's going to love it. But uh, if you're patient, it's a long film. And it, it feels long. It's almost three hours. It's two hours and 40 minutes. Stars Brad Pitt as Jesse James and Casey Affleck as Robert Ford. And uh, it kind of has a little bit of the um, a Judas and Christ feel to it, uh, which has sort of been a theme more as of late. Um, but, uh, yeah, I highly recommend it. Uh, I love this film. It's directed by Andrew Dominic. You can currently watch it on HBO. Uh, I believe that it is on HBO Max, so you can watch it if you have a subscription to that service. All right, and the number one film on my list, I've already mentioned it today, is Into the Wild. Into the Wild is probably one of my favorite films of all time. It didn't get uh, the love that it probably should. Uh, it is directed by actor Sean Penn, and he really just didn't make any more movies after this. He, he wrote the screenplay for it, stars Emile Hirsch, um, a young man who had everything and gave it all up so that he could go uh, live in Alaska. And as he's making his journey out there, he meets a lot of people along the way and sees the country. And the film depicts this beautifully. Um, and it's very much in that kind of same vein as Nomadland. Um, but the cinematography is absolutely gorgeous. Uh, I, I, I can't say enough about that. Um, I, did, I attempted to read this book. Uh, the problem with the book is that it tells a lot of different stories um, beyond this main one. And it, it, it kind of ruins the flow for me. Um, but uh, I actually like the film a lot better than, than the book. Um, I, I just can't say enough, though, about the way in which uh, the, the country is depicted. Um, there are some very iconic scenes because of a mix between a life lesson and uh, the element of just human interaction mixed with the vastness of our American landscape and just nature in general. And I think that is where I, I just truly connect um, with this film. Uh, and it's a shame it didn't get more love from the Academy. Uh, I, I think that it, it should have, and it just didn't. Um, so that was my number one film. When we return from this break, we will uh, we will do our trivia. We'll have our answers from last week, and we will have five new questions for this week. Stay tuned for that.
trivia. So let's first of all go over last week's uh, questions and answers, and then we will move on to five new questions for this week. So question number one from last week was, Pixar has been nominated for 49 Oscars across a number of different categories. How many Oscars have they won? They have won 16 different Oscars. It's quite incredible. Uh, question number two. The first Academy Award for Best Animated Feature was given in 2001 to what film? That would be Shrek. Question number three. Persepolis was dropped from the 2007 Bangkok Film Festival when what country's government protested its inclusion in the festival? That would be Iran. The film takes place very much in Iran, so they in it's about a revolution, so of course they wouldn't like that. Uh, question number four. How many sequels have been made for How to Train Your Dragon? What are their names? There were two sequels. One is How to Train Your Dragon 2, and the other is How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. Question number five. Rashida Jones does voice acting in the film Klaus. This is her third animated film. Can you name the other two? They would be Inside Out, the Pixar film, and... Uh, the 2018 version of The Grinch. She did a voice in The Grinch. All right, and she actually has a fourth animated film that came out after Klaus called uh, Spies in Disguise. I haven't seen that, but it is on HBO. Um, so let's now talk about this week's trivia questions. Question number one, Chloe Zhao was tasked with directing the upcoming 2021 film Eternals, which is part of what big-time box office franchise? Chloe Zhao was tasked with directing the upcoming 2021 film Eternals, which is part of what big-time box office franchise? Question number two. Frances McDormand is married to what Oscar-winning writer-director? Frances McDormand is married to what Oscar-winning writer-director? Question number three. Kind of plays off of question number two. Question number three. Frances McDormand will star opposite Denzel Washington in a film directed by her husband based on what famous Shakespeare tragedy? Frances McDormand will star opposite Denzel Washington in a film directed by her husband based on what famous Shakespeare tragedy? Question number four. Sean Penn's ex-spouse, Robin Wright, made her own directorial debut this year in an eerily similar film to Into the Wild, entitled What? Sean Penn's ex-spouse, Robin Wright made her own directorial debut this year in an eerily similar film to Into the Wild, entitled What? In question number five, landscapes are his thing. Terrence Malick captured the beginnings of America in the 2005, in what 2005 film starring Colin Farrell, Christopher Plummer, and Christian Bale? 
Landscapes are his thing. Terrence Malick captured the beginnings of America in what 2005 film starring Colin Farrell, Christopher Plummer, and Christian Bale. And that is all I have this week. So tune in next week. We're going to talk Golden Globes reactions. And then we will also do our um, five-part series, Small Axe, which will be a spoiler show. So get ready to uh, hear a little bit more about uh, Steve McQueen's Small Axe next week. Have a great weekend.